Our gospel reading today sheds light on a really underappreciated fact about the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus. Specifically, that when somebody invited Jesus over for a meal, it was a dicey proposition at best. You never knew what was going to necessarily happen when Jesus went to your house. Sometimes it turned out well, such as when he was invited to a wedding, happened to be in Cana, he was just going as a guest, but then he got called into service by his mother. And of course, you know that that goes down in the Gospel of John as the first miraculous sign that Jesus did. It was a huge blessing for him to be there. But more often than not, the, the times he would go over to somebody's house for dinner, oftentimes a Pharisee, didn't really go that well. There was more a sense of tension and, and sometimes even sort of argumentative postures and things like that. Luke speaks to that in the seventh chapter where Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house, specifically the Pharisee is named, his name is Simon. And as he goes, there's already a hint of, of tenseness. And the, the way that Luke describes what happens tells why that is actually the case. Jesus goes, and as he arrives, well, he's there and he's reclining at the table, but almost immediately a woman shows up She's called a sinful woman in Luke's account. And she's there and she's sitting, she's standing at Jesus' feet because the way the, they laid out the tables, you would sort of recline and look. Your head would be towards the, the host and your feet would be towards the end. And she, so she can be there standing over him and she's just weeping. She's sobbing. Her tears are falling like rain upon his feet. And she takes, she squats down and she takes her hair and she dries his feet. And then she starts to kiss them. Just out of this, we're not quite sure what until later, but just out of this sense of being so melted by his presence, so desirous of expressing her love for him out of a sense, although we're not told specifically, out of a sense of his forgiveness, of who she is, of what she's done. Not who she is because she's God's very good creation. But what she's done, and we're not told the details, but there's this sense of, wow, I'm finally in a place of being made whole, of being forgiven. And so she weeps. She dries her tears with her hair. She kisses her feet. And then she has a jar of perfume with her. And she opens it up and she pours perfume on his feet. And it's amazing and people are astounded. Simon the Pharisee must have thought, well, I certainly didn't plan this. This was not on the agenda. Jesus knows what's going on because he looks and he observes and he considers. And he knows that Luke tells us that, that Simon says to himself when he's seeing this lavish display of repentance, this, this totally uncalled for, really hard to fathom happening. Simon says, if this woman, if this man if was really a prophet, he would know what's going on. And then it says, Jesus told Simon a parable. I have something to say. Say it, Lord, says Simon. 
So then he talks about a moneylender who had who was owed money by two different parties. One owed him 50 denarii, the other owed him 500. And he forgave both debts. And then Jesus says, who do you think loved the moneylender most? Simon says, the one, I suppose, who forgave the bigger debt. And then Jesus, who is aware, who is observed, who considers, says to Simon, I came into your house and you did not give me any water to wash my feet. But this woman, since I arrived, has not stopped washing them, essentially with her tears. And then you did not give me a kiss, a greeting, or something traditional, something that shows regard for the guests that you've invited. But this woman not stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. To Simon again, you gave me no oil for my head, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. He has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus observes what's going on. He doesn't miss a trick, so to speak. And he uses it to teach and to guide and to tell Simon, in this case, who, something about him and something about what life in Christ is, something about where our life truly belongs. And so now we come to the Gospel reading, Luke 14. And guess what? Jesus is doing something similar. It's not Simon anymore, but it's still a Pharisee's house. It's a prominent Pharisee, somebody who's up there. And Jesus observes, and Jesus watches, and he takes in. And what does he see? He sees kind of this mad dash for status. All the guests are trying to jockey for position next to the prominent Pharisee. That their own social enhancement, their own place in the strata of whatever the society you know, that, that religious political society of the day, that that would actually be enhanced or furthered. You can sort of imagine somebody who, who would go home and tell his spouse, hey, you know, I got that much closer to the prominent Pharisee. Things are looking up. I got to go to more of these dinners. This is, this is good. But Jesus observes and he sees and he tells another parable. And this time his parable is what? He says, let me tell you a parable. And he, the parable that Cindy read is, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, then the host who has invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the place of that is the least important. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is observing. He's looking. And then he takes that and he tells a parable because he's teaching. And he's guiding and he's leading these people who are listening to this parable, hopefully into a place of life and away from a place of danger. What is the place of danger? The place of danger in this parable is the place of self-exaltation. Self-exaltation is that place where somehow my interests, my goals, my life, my priorities, my is more important than God. My sense of who I am is somehow detached from who God says I am. My, my worldview and how I frame things is something that's out of my culture. 
more tapping into the education I receive, the culture that I'm in, the, the books that I'm reading, the friends that I'm keeping, rather than the Word of God that is for time and eternity, rather than the Holy God who tells me who I am and who we are and who this world is and what it is like and what the end goal is. And Jesus is observing and he's teaching through this parable and guiding and he's guiding us by extension to be wary of, of this desire, innate desire to exalt ourselves. Because why? Because it only ends in being humbled. Because if we're trying to do something for ourselves and we're doing it apart from God, in the end it will have no real currency. It will be worthless. Those who humble themselves, that is those that draw into the life of Christ, by extension the life of God, who, who say, I don't know necessarily what my life's trajectory is supposed to be, what plans God has for me. The, I certainly don't have the resources I need or that, to do the things that he's called me to do. I am very dependent. That is that posture of humility. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's such a rich concept. No self-exaltation. Don't exalt yourself. Instead, be humble. Take that posture of humility. Because if you, we insist on exalting ourselves, it only ends in, it doesn't end well. Let's just say that. You know, our, the culture that we live in, particularly in this valley, we're Holy Trinity Silicon Valley for a reason. Because there's no end of opportunities to be, to sort of imbibe what's around. Look, look at just within a, I don't know, a 10-mile radius. We're in one of the richest places in the world. You just look at sort of concentration of billionaires. We, we actually have one of the densest. If you look at the education, world-class education. Literally, some of you guys are members of this world-class institution. Fantastic, wonderful but also, if we're not schooled in the school of Christ, if we're not learning in the school of Christ, it can feed this kind of self-exaltation. So we have a place of richness. We have a place of education. We have a place of uh, amazing possibilities through the technology and through the science. It's like if any place needed a word like this, this would be it. If, any, if there was any day that where the parables of Jesus, who observes, who knows, who actually through the parables is, really, is telling us what's really going on. It's not about these young people getting more uh, or these people getting closer to the prominent Pharisee and somehow you know, having their status increased. That's not what's really going on. They're just rather setting themselves up for being humiliated down the road. And so what's really going on is that these are opportunities that we have in certain ways, that God has called us here for a time and a place, but it is to advance his kingdom, it is to live out his calling, it is to be his person, it is to be a faithful disciple, and to do that in this time and in this place requires and can only be through humility. Again, the humility that's manifested in dependence on who God is. In, in reliance upon how do we understand our way by living according to your word. We take in his word not to be good Christians. We don't read so much of scriptures each and every week because we're checking a box about what good Anglicans do. We are saying very much, Lord, I am absolutely dependent on your word. I don't know who I am without your word. I don't know who you are without your word. 
Augustine said, to know, to have knowledge is as much about faith as anything can be. For him, there wasn't, as schooled as he was, there wasn't sort of this knowledge, real knowledge, separate from faith in Christ. That's a powerful concept. We want to be in that place of humility, but it's hard, isn't it? You know, of all the things that we've just talked about that, that lead us maybe to depend on ourselves or to think, you know, I've arrived or I've got it, etc. But too much is given, much is expected. But sometimes we can find ourselves exalting our place, uh, being exalting ourselves not out of a sense of kind of what, that we want what the world wants, but out of a sense of, honestly, resentment and weariness. See, to exalt yourself is to say my needs are above any kind of response to God. My ambitions are more important than following Christ. But, or my resentments are worth more or worthy of greater nurture than, say, my devotion or submission to Him. And I say that because that's not something that is necessarily known. It doesn't really um, go with self-exaltation, certainly not necessarily the parable, but it is something that we can fixate so much on for really understandable reasons that we somehow use it as an excuse to crowd out Christ. We use it as an excuse not to be humble. We think, I've already been humiliated by these circumstances, whatever they are. Some of you, uh, there's a phenomenon, I guess, being documented these days or being reported on called quiet quitting. You guys heard that term? Uh, it, it has various descriptions to it. Some are benign, like quiet quitting is just drawing boundaries and saying, you know what, I'm, I, I was hired for you know, 40 to 60 hours, but you're making me work 80 to 100, so I'm just going to pull back. But more often than not, the more malign version of quiet quitting is so, somewhat of a passive-aggressive approach to your job where you're just saying, you know what, I'm remote, I'm tired, I'm fed up, I'm not being treated well, I have grievances, there's issues, my management is fill in the blank. And so I'm just not going to tell anybody that I'm really just phoning it in. I'm just not really quitting because I need a paycheck, but I'm not really going anywhere close to the extra mile. I'm doing the bare minimum. Sometimes I'm doing less than the bare minimum. What the, what's quiet quitting? It's just the latest example of, of times when we can feel resentful. There's other things that, that can make us feel that way too. Some people that you know, or maybe you specifically, uh, are in a season where you're, you're dealing with just sort of a prolonged health issue, challenge, illness. Maybe you're coming alongside somebody in your family circle, your friend circle, needs your love, your care, your support. And that is great, and that is of the Lord to be able to... Um, he allows that in a way that we would find our connection with him, that there's something about experiencing Jesus through humble circumstances that we cannot necessarily experience through all the joys and all the things of this life, all the, promise, all the up and to the right kind of stuff. But it's hard. It gets wearing. It gets challenging. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can find our place in that posture of just being tired, almost resentful, and wondering, Lord, like, what are you, what are you even doing in my life? This, this doesn't make any sense. W 
when, when we allow that to get to a place where we are distancing ourselves from the love of God, then we, are, we have forgotten the real blessing of humility. Where we say, Lord, I don't know why you're allowing me to experience this because it's, and it's not easy, but I need your help. And if we take that place and don't camp out on the hurts and the, the hardships and, the, and the, the ongoing challenge of some of these situations, again, they are real. I don't want to say these, these are not real in any way, but they become hard and they become places of resentment if we just try to bear them alone. God never meant us to bear such things by ourselves. And when we think we cannot possibly go again, he just says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so come to him. But here's the way through this thing. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. They will be lifted out. They will be lifted up. How do I know this? Because, because Jesus Christ is saying, he, he is, when he calls us to humility, He's calling us to something, not that he knows is good, but something that he personally experienced and modeled for himself. There's a great hymn in, in Philippians 2. It says, he, talking about Jesus, he, who didn't not, he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. This is an act of humility, amazing humility. Taking the form of a servant, no longer God, but a servant, who being, though he was in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to hold on to to be used as his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, a human like you and I, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Death on a cross. The way of Jesus is the way of humility. There is a time of exaltation it comes right after in these next verses. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Humility comes before exaltation. Too often our world says it's all about the exaltation, and if you can avoid the humility, please do so. But that's not the way of our Lord. That's not what he modeled for us. That's not what he lived on our behalf. That's not what he leads us to. Recently, was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he was quoting John Newton, the reformed slave trader, who said after his own life, uh, as later on in his life and his ministry, Newton said this, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. It's such a secure mindset and feeling. It's such a posture of humility, trusting in the love and the life of Christ. It requires an amazing amount of faith because there's so much in that sentence that is unknown. There's so much in the future that we don't know, that we can't possibly know. We think it's going to continue to go bad or it's going to continue to be hard, but we don't know. Jesus knows, and Jesus is the one that leads us. And when it is time to be lifted up, to be exalted, if you will, he will do that. When Jesus... As you know, when he went to these dinners or these meals, he noticed things. And he used those to teach and to guide. And he notices us. If we invited Jesus to our house for dinner, what would he notice? What would he call our attention to? How do you even feel about that prospect? 
hey, good news, Jesus is coming over for dinner. Is it like, yay? Or is it like, oh, no. But what would he notice? What would he say? Let us not be afraid of that because then he will teach and he will guide and he will lead us. And he will lead anything that he sees in our life that, that is tending towards self-exaltation, which is a fancy way of saying life without him. He will gently bring us back. He's not a, he will point out challenges and dangers that lie ahead if we continue. Opportunities that we will miss. Things that we are um, just short-sighted about. I love this line from C.S. Lewis's book, um, where he says, if it would seem, he's talking about our desires in, in the weight of glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We invite the Lord over to eat with us. And he observes and he sees and he teaches and he guides. He is doing so, so that we would know the joy that we cannot even imagine. An infinite joy which is offered to us. And so that we do not fall trap to the things of self-exaltation which can never satisfy. And so just a, closing on a pra very practical note. As you think about your meal, some, your eating sometime this coming week, set some time aside to say, Lord, I just want you to come and dine with me. And it's just an act of prayer while you're eating. But you're listening for what he's saying, what he's seeing. And you're saying, Lord, um, show me where I need to be humble. Show me where either I'm, self, I'm in some place of self-exaltation and how I view myself in this world, or I'm in some place of resentment for how long I've had to persist under things that are legitimate and genuine challenges, and I'm so weary of this, Lord. I need, I need your help in these places. And listen to what our Lord says, because he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.